0: From the virtual newsroom of Impact Alpha, this is your Impact Briefing for Friday, April 30th. I'm Brian Walsh. Today, I'm joined by Impact Alpha's Roundtable Regulars, contributing editor Imogen Rose-Smith and editor-in-chief David Bank to discuss truth in advertising when it comes to ESG. Welcome back to the show. Hi, Imogen. Hi, David. Hi, Brian. Hey, Brian. Hi, Imogen. Good to see you both again. Good to have the gang all back, but first, Here's what you need to know from The Week in Impact Investing. The rising price of carbon is drawing the attention of commodity traders and fund managers. The market is still a patchwork of regions, countries, and U.S. states, but carbon, or really the reduction in greenhouse gases, is becoming a global commodity and an increasingly valuable one. The price of carbon on Europe's emissions trading scheme has doubled this year to more than $54 a ton, And some traders expect it to pass $100 this year. That milestone had previously not been expected until about 2030. It's another sign of the great acceleration in climate action. Among this week's notable climate deals, Congruent Ventures raised $175 million for its early-stage climate tech fund. Limited partners in the new fund include Microsoft's Climate Innovation Fund, UC Investments, and the Cerdna Foundation. And Universal Hydrogen raised just over $20 million to develop hydrogen-based engines to retrofit commercial aircraft for zero-carbon flights. One company that will feel the impact of $100 a ton carbon is ExxonMobil, which is under intense pressure to match the decarbonization efforts of competitors like BP and Shell. This week, the California Public Employees Retirement System, or CalPERS, a $444 billion pension fund, threw its weight behind an insurgent slate in Exxon's election for its new board of directors next month. The activist hedge fund Engine No. 1 is pushing a slate of four nominees with energy transition experience. There's growing interest in real estate investing strategies that reflect genuine community needs and participation. In Alabama, Opportunity Alabama, along with Blueprint Local, have raised $13 million for a fund that is backing senior care facilities, workforce housing, and other projects in low-income neighborhoods. The projects qualify for Opportunity Zone tax breaks. Significantly, the fund has attracted investments from nonprofit foundations that can't take advantage of the tax break, an indication of the appeal of such community-driven project development. Dozens of impact investors and other groups and investors are pressing the Biden administration for extensive changes to Opportunity Zone regulations. And in Philadelphia, a group of Black developers has come together as The Collective to raise $100 million in equity capital for inclusive real estate projects. The Collective joined together to attract institutional capital that was reluctant to back individual developers. Now it's time for our featured conversation. Imogen, your latest Institutional Impact column on Impact Alpha takes on the question of who gets to decide what is and what is not ESG. Now, when it comes to ESG, that's Environmental, Social, and Governance, it's generally the fund managers who are typically judge, jury, and executioner. Is that right?
1: That is currently seems to be the case. Yes, um, what we what we've seen evolving over the last few years, decade really, is that mainstream asset managers have gone from wanting to have nothing to do with ESG or impact investing to actively embracing it as a investment strategy slash marketing opportunity. Um, and within that process, what you're seeing is that it is the asset managers themselves who are saying what an ESG investment is.
2: Imogen had a, a great example in the column this week, Brian, that was about a big land development, agricultural development on the island of Maui. I, Imogen, that must have been a tough a, t- that, a, a tough research, at least pre pre pandemic, uh, a tough assignment to take on, uh, researching um, land use in Maui.
1: This is what I do in the name of impact and asset management. But yeah, we went we were out there um, in January of twenty twenty.
2: And what just lay out for the the readers what the what the issue there is in the, the investment and the investors.
1: Yes, we had this interesting project in Maui where it looked to be on the face of it. It was being marketed as a sustainable investment strategy. And a lot of that marketing was coming from the operating company and the private equity partners. But in fact, when you peeled back the onion and you started to do the research into what were predominantly publicly available documents um, and ongoing litigation, as well as talking to community members, it quickly became apparent that. In many respects, this was not an ESG investment, and certainly was not an investment that had a either the buy-in of the broader-based community, or was likely to be have a positive impact on the broader community.
2: Well, this is this is what's coming up, uh, uh, Brian and Imogen more and more, and you know people have been warning about it in the impact and. Uh, and, and as you say ESG community for for a while is the incipient, you know, greenwashing of funds and and fundraising, um, and I, I suppose it's a sign of, you know, the arrival of ESG and impact that now it's seen as a marketing tool, not as something that you know investors would run away from. Um, but then the flip side is that we are needing to know more precisely and more rigorously um, just what impact is being measured and how it's being achieved, and 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 whether it's it's and whether it's all for real.
1: So, and i think it's i mean i think it's kind of deeper than that particularly in institutional asset management because you do have what we identify as you know the agency problem for institutional investors so if i'm an investor i go out and i hire i i'm an institutional investor i'm not an expert in any one specific thing my job is to go out and hire the fund managers that i assume to be the experts in those things and then, presuming they do their job correctly, which I as an investor can tell because the returns are what they're supposed to be, I have to trust them to do their job. Um, and it's not my job, and in fact, I really shouldn't be second-guessing these people all the time. I think the challenge is, when you bring ESG into that conversation, it creates a whole not, not a bunch of variables. And so what is happening, what was happening in the case in Hawaii in part, was you know, the investor had gone out, hired this manager, the manager was operating, overseeing the operations. There's no, they they were being told by members of the community, hey, there's a problem. People were trying to reach out to the investor, but the investor was ignoring them. In part because they were relying on the authority of the manager. And if you do, you know, if you spend any time doing infrastructure investing, there's always people complaining, right? No, no community. You're not going to satisfy every community group. So if I'm sitting in the allocator seat, you know, I'm not going to check every single community to make sure that they're all happy. I just want to know, you know, are you basically doing the right thing, and is my investment going to work? So there's no real recourse for a community that's really being negatively impacted to reach out and let you know supposedly an ESG investor know that and have their voice be heard because the investor is relying on the manager to be that filter and provide that information
0: right so how do we how do we help you know, ensure then that it's not just the, you know, Fox guarding the hen house issue here. And also, it's not just a matter of uh, allocators or investors imagining that it's these community voices are just crying wolf when it comes to their problems with the project. So who, who needs to kind of step into this to bring clarity uh, to this to this process?
2: Well, just be- be- before we get to- before we get to that, let's just broaden the aperture a little bit. Which is, it's not just private equity managers, you know, in these sort of esoteric deals. It's also, you know, big asset managers like BlackRock in ETFs that the public markets are, can absorb. There was uh, been a bit of a stir. Um, and Imogen put this in her column as well about. BlackRock's, you know, carbon transition readiness fund, which which came out of the gates and raised, you know, north of a billion dollars very quickly, um, and people started to poke holes and point out the oil companies and others that are part of that fund.
1: And in, I mean, in the case of BlackRock, what's interesting about that is it's not so much that they were owning oil companies per se, but the oil company, the companies that they were owning, right? So BlackRock's thesis is that we want to overweight the companies that are going to be part of the carbon transition that that, that are carbon transition ready and underweight those that are not so effectively they're going to track the index in terms of their overall sectors but they will have more of you know the good companies and less of the seemingly bad companies what's strange about it is that you know they have said so that they, they have large allocations relatively large up weightings to a company like exxon which pretty much nobody thinks is the poster child for carbon transition readiness right they in the international fund they have glencore which you know is the largest thermal holder of thermal coal so it's not the thesis that's necessarily wrong it's not even that they're holding fossil fuel companies or other companies that sort of um fossil fuel free activists in particular might point to it just there seem it doesn't really again make a lot of sense when you really start looking at it
0: so it's not their investment thesis per se it's their investment practice
1: yeah or their investment portfolio which is not to say that they're lying it just doesn't it doesn't like you could okay, and and a retail investor could be like, great, you know, I'm investing in this carbon transition readiness strategy, and there's really not a lot of well, there's really not a lot of oxygen between that and the overall indices, except for the fact that you're paying twice as much in fees.
0: Right, but it sounds like it, they have the marketing down, and so the the good news is, the marketing. Is being valued by the marketplace, right? That that you have investors who who care about these issues around sustainability, ESG, and carbon transition, and so more funds are going towards that. But the challenge then is that there, uh, the most investors don't necessarily look under the hood at all the underlying holdings, and so there isn't the enforcement um, yet of uh, to, to ensure that there's truth in advertising that they that it says what it does on the can
1: yes or that the can is not confusing like that there isn't that there is no you know smoking is going to kill you label on the can
0: and and that's where regulators step in right and uh and short of nutrition labels on the side of food packaging uh now we're looking at the sec is trying to look at some greater clarification to bring transparency to the esg market in the us and then you have european regulators uh looking at bringing greater transparency for those who are claiming to do ESG and sustainable investing. Um, So they have to disclose what is it that they mean by that? Is that right, David? Well,
2: I think everybody should get used to yet more acronyms and and initials. S-F-D-R, Sustainable Finance Disclosure Disclosure. Regulations or reporting? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what the, the R is, but it is it is it is the new reporting regime in, in Europe. And because, um, you know, U.S. funds and, and, and others are, op, you know, operate in Europe, are, they fall under these disclosure regulations. People think that this is sort of the coming of global uh, disclosure around exactly what you're saying, Brian. What are the ESG um, the 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 thesis, the practice, the 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 reporting re- regime, um, the disclosure, um, the you know all of that has to be spelled out so that when you claim to you know be having some kind of E S or G impact, you know that that's um, that people know what you're talking about. At the minimum, that you have a, a kind of a, a process that that can be pointed to, and then and then at a maximum that the that the results actually you know show up eventually. But at this point, we're still talking about process and methodology. The danger, of course, is that the you know sort of pointing out you know the the bad apples or the or the misrepresentative uh, claims you know can be used to discredit the whole enterprise and everybody says oh you can't believe anything and oh people are just greenwashing and just marketing and therefore i should go back to business as usual because those those sustainability impact folks are are just blowing smoke and there's and there's really nothing there that would be a bad outcome the good outcome would be oh the asset managers who are claiming esg or claiming impact are actually putting up you know reasonable and and responsible methods to uh, track and and monitor and disclose and therefore we are making measurable progress towards towards those kind of social environmental goals and the question will be whether you know people step up and the whole thing becomes much more regularized systematized standardized and 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 everybody can kind of understand what what's going on not that oh everything is is just uh is just another scam
1: i don't think that I I think the intent of the European regulation um, is not to have that happen, right? Like, I think the European regulation is interesting because what it's really trying to do is institutionalize consideration of, in particular, sort of climate change risk into the mechanisms of the financial system itself. So it's not really an opt in process, it's an opt-out process. So whoever you are as an investment manager, you have to say, do you take ESG consideration factors into consideration? And then if you say yes, I do, you have to explain how you're going about it. And so what they're really concerned about, I think, is say climate change and climate risk, and how do we think about that? So, you know, it's it's not, you know, a cynical exercise in trying to capture greenwashing and call esg investing crap um i think that the the challenge and you know this is sort of the counterpoint to if asset managers become the decider of what esg is is then it's just going to be behoven to them and sort of their marketing strategy is the danger with regulation is obviously that you stamp out that, that you sort of get rid of creativity that if it becomes too restrictive over what should and should not be an ESG investment, then a lot of the innovation and a lot of the new ideas go away, and 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 that becomes problematic for the market.
2: And I do find it ironic a little bit that uh, that regulation, you know, sort of the different responses to regulation under the Trump administration and the Biden administration. So when the when Trump was you know, sending guidance letters from the Department of Labor and 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 whatnot about um, uh, war- warning um, asset managers, um, particularly around pension fund um investments off of ESG. It was seen as an attempt to sort of quash this, um, promising and and high impact you know investment strategy that that everybody wanted to see succeed. Um, when Biden administration and the SEC just issued this risk alert, um, around ESG investing, when the Biden administration comes forward, everybody says, oh, excellent. The sheriff's finally in town and now we can, um, get some standards here and that will give, uh, investors confidence and help grow the market. So, you know, regulation, uh, again, you know, sometimes eye of the beholder in a, in a sense.
1: To be fair though, that the, the, Trump administration was coming from a place of bad faith when they were trying to change the DOL guidance and rules right
0: that doesn't sound like the trump administration i i know (laughs) but it, it does sound like this is one of those issues where where you stand depends on where you sit and i think that's a good place to close it thank you so much for digging into this topic imogen thank you and thank you as always david thanks to both of you that's going to do it for your impact briefing this week you create all of these stories at impact alpha impact alpha's podcasts are available wherever you listen Impact Alpha subscribers make our journalism possible. Join them and receive the daily brief and full access to Impact Alpha content. Podcast listeners get $100 off their first annual subscription. Go to impactalpha.com slash subscribe and use the code briefing100 for your $100 off. Thank you for listening and thanks to Imogen Rose Smith and to David Bank. And thanks also to our fearless producer, Isaac Silk. I'm Brian Walsh, head of impact for the fintech company Liquinet. Until next time, take good care.